0: Hello, good morning, everybody. Um, I'll be finishing um, the little breaks I've been giving Pastor Kendall through the book of Jonah this week. Uh, so I'll be in Jonah chapter 4 if you want to turn your Bibles there. And before the reading of the Word, since it's been a few weeks, I think I'll do a very brief, and I promise it will be brief, uh, recap of the book of Jonah. Uh, because it's a short story, and it's a simple story, but it's a very important message that... Um, We uh, risk waking up and getting wrong every single day. Um, So when we started Jonah, we saw a prophet who was called, like many prophets in his time, to give the word of the Lord to a people, usually to Israel. But Jonah is called to Nineveh. And you can think of Nineveh as the Rome of Jesus' time, or you can think of it as just the nasty, uh, evil city of our time. Um, Maybe some people say things about Chicago like that. Um, Nineveh is a terrible place, and Jonah does not like that place. And so unlike the rest of those prophets, he runs away. Instead of obeying the Lord, he does everything he can to not go to Nineveh. But of course, if you know anything about the God of the Bible, he's going to get his way. And so the first chapter of Jonah is Jonah running and God appointing a storm to, to pretty much wreck the ship that he's on. And so the sailors throw Jonah over at Jonah's command because the storm is there because of Jonah. And Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh, so he says, throw me in. But then in chapter 2, we see this miraculous fish come, appointed by the Lord, and save Jonah, and we see Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. He prays to the Lord, thanking him for being delivered, realizing, you know, I really didn't want to die. And um, we see the very important verse in chapter 2, verse 8. Jonah is praying, and he says sort of the central message of his book. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that applies to us in regards to the gospel and forgetting it. And so then the the fish pukes him up because it turns out his prayer is somewhat in vain because he doesn't repent. And so the, the fish gives him up back to the land, sort of spews him up like your prayer is disgusting to me. And we see in chapter three something amazing. We see the whole city of Nineveh repent when Jonah comes in half-heartedly preaching his his sermon. Forty days, this place is going to be turned upside down. And the crazy thing is is that they repent. The whole city repents. They sit in sackcloth. The king repents. He commands everyone to repent. And it seems that Jonah's message is received against all odds. If you saw something like this in your day, you would be dumbfounded. This would be be historical. This would be documented. And this would be remembered. And then we get to chapter 4. And we finally get this sort of mystery in Jonah, he finally tells us why he's been acting the way he's been acting. And so I'll start the reading of the word in Jonah 3, uh, verse 10, and I'll read through the rest of the book. So this is just after the Ninevites have repented. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, who do not know their right hand from their left, and much cattle. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, um, we come before you, um, needy, fickle people who um, should see ourselves in Jonah. Um, Lord, um, you, are, you are so merciful. You show yourself merciful to Jonah, to the pagan sailors, to the Ninevites in this story. Um, and Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage, you would help us to gain that heart of mercy that Christ had for us, that you have for us, that mercy that your Holy Spirit is imparting to us day in and day out, forming us through that mercy and through that grace to be ready for your presence when your Son returns, when we are in your manifest presence, Lord. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be humble as Jonah should be humble. And Lord, help us to receive this message with clear minds, sober consciences. Lord, give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, like I was saying, just about these first four verses, I just want to say, the first, we finally got that thing, Jonah was withholding the whole book. He has shown us, like, why he has been this ironic contradiction through his journey. He knew what God was going to do, and he didn't want what God wanted. It's that simple. So he fled, and he tried to end his life, and verse 1 says he was displeased, and he was angry. Um with the fact that Nineveh uh, repented and God spared them from disaster, if that shocks you, it, it should be shocking because Jonah just witnessed what every preacher wants. wants. He, they want an utter responsiveness to his appointed message. They want to be received. Everyone received his message, and he's so mad about it. <laughs> if you ever preach, you that will mean more to you. <laughs> um Many Christians would die for that to happen, right? We see missionaries go all over the world. They would die. They would train their whole life to bring the gospel to a group of people, and they would give their life. If God would tell them it'll happen in a moment, they'd say, yes, use me for that. And Jonah wants to die so that it doesn't happen. Um, I think of, this makes me think of Paul when he says, I wish I could be cut off so that my brothers might be saved. And Jonah wants to be cut off so that he doesn't have any more little brothers, um, in fact, like this whole passage, like one through four, it very much reflects language of like a child throwing a tantrum. Uh, like children do, they may very well tell you why they are mad at you with no consistent argument for why they are mad at you. They don't lead with why you are wrong. They, don't have the fa- they really don't have the faculty to submit uh, such cases and points. They can't argue with you. You're the, you're the parent, they're the child. Uh, they just don't like what you did. This is essentially like an infantile regression that we see in some people today when they really pushed um, to their limits of stress and anxiety. He's just finally letting that immature part of his heart out. And he's just giving it out. Like, um, he's pouring his heart out. He's giving it straight and simple even though like, his concern isn't base. He's just Ugh, like, I knew you were going to do this. Um, like, he's just, it's just like a kid. Like I don't want to share because it's mine. He can get his own and why does she get any? Like, he just, he's just being a kid. And uh, so Jonah doesn't want to take any more, so he asks God to end his life, Uh, a a complete extreme, and God asks the perfect question at the perfect time, do you do well to be angry? And uh, the first verse of this passage shows Jonah's displeasure, but it also shows us that it just struck him as wrong. Um, You might see in the footnote of your, if you have an ESV, it says, um, it was evil to Jonah. He's just looking around, he's like, this is wrong. He's like, this shouldn't happen. They don't deserve this. It bothers me at a moral level. The problem is, is that it is, it is a good thing. And so, God it's making him sick, and he's out here, and God asks, essentially asks him this question. It's, it's weird phrasing, but it really says this. Do you have a right to be angry? He's asking him a simple question that we don't get a response. We Rather, we get another scene. We get sort of scene two of chapter four. He says, do you have a right to be angry? And then you'll see in verse two, Jonah says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Like, I knew you were going to do this, and I don't like it. And he's quoting Exodus 34, which is just after Moses gets the law on Sinai, and then he comes down, he's like, okay, I got the law, I got the message, this is going to sh- show you who you are, it's going to reflect the character of God, which is going to show you who you are, it's going to lead you to repentance, and the Lord will deliver you from yourself. And as he's coming down, they've already built themselves two, two idols, golden calves, and, John, and Aaron calls them, this is Yahweh. <laughs> and then Moses just throws the tablets down. And he's like, you're kidding. Like, I didn't even make it down the mountain. Aaron, what do they do to you? And then he, he crushes the idols and he throws it in the water and he makes them drink the water and it's bitter because it's full of idols. And, uh, and so he's calling to mind that moment where the Israelites were acting like the Ninevites. They gave up on their Lord from like pretty much day one. They did not show themselves to be faithful. And he's quoting that moment where they are not being faithful. And at the same time, he's getting mad at the, for God being merciful to the Ninevites, the way he was, he was merciful to Israel. Because right after they break, he breaks the tablets and the idols are destroyed. Just a, just a chapter later, God renews the covenant. And he says that. He says, I am a God Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you're here for Jonah 2, we capitalize on that idea of steadfast love, that covenant faithfulness, and relenting from disaster. And so he's quoting that moment where, he, where his people received that mercy, and which was ultimately why Jonah received that mercy. And yet he's totally denying the substance of what it says. He's saying, I hate that you're doing this for them. I knew you were going to do this. And so is it right for Jonah to be angry? No. And God is going to show him that. So then we pick up in verse 5. It's sort of like a a flashback. This is probably what's happening after he preaches his half-hearted sermon, 40 days, you're going to be overturned. He goes out to the east of the city and he watches for those 40 days. He's like, okay, I'm really hoping this place, I really want to see Sodom and Gomorrah part two. He's just sitting there for 40 days in the wilderness. He makes a small shelter for himself of dirt and clay. It's probably not a great way to make a, a roof. And so these... Uh, ironically, like the wilderness B.C. is not a very pleasant place. In fact, uh, this is fairly reminiscent of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness after Sinai. Hence this 40, this 40 language in chapter 3. So Jonah's merciful God of steadfast love appoints a castor oil plant to soothe Jonah's discomfort. Interestingly enough, that word discomfort you're seeing is the noun form of the verb that we got in the verse, first verse for displeased. So the author is essentially, Jonah is essentially prepping us for a sort of parallel. You have part one and you have part two, and he's putting them side by side. And that's what God is doing for Jonah. Just as God's mercy made Jonah exceedingly angry, so the plant makes him exceedingly glad. It's just like getting us ready. Then Jonah's merciful God chastises, chastises his child, son, by appointing a worm to kill the plant overnight. Moreover, God points a scorching east wind to, t- to, make, to take Jonah to the brink. That east wind language is sort of a classic thing, um, just like that mind-boggling. You might see this in movies when people are like wandering through the desert and they start to lose their mind. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm dehydrated. That's a real thing, that's like a real archetype out of the experience of this part of the world. In fact, if you go to Muslim countries today, there's actually special laws in this area of the world Where if you commit a crime during an east wind, like the punishment isn't as bad because they know your mind was screwed up. (laughs) And so God is sending these these things Jonah's way and it's breaking him down. Like his body's being broken down and yet his heart has still not, even at this point in this verse, or in this book, he's still not turned. After all that God has appointed, he's sitting there throwing a fit over a stupid plant. So now God asks him again with a slight shift, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah answers in correspondence to his childish heart, of course I'm justified. The plant is all I had left. You spared Nineveh. Now I've got to go back and tell everybody. I will be treated like all the other prophets they've killed. Jonah isn't the first prophet uh, to ask for his ministry to be cut short through death. Moses asked this, again, back in that sort of Sinai period. Um, he asked this when he was just sick of the people, like the people are so hard on me, just, just take me home. Elijah was so exhausted, he asked. He was just, he's in a cave, he's so exhausted, Lord, take me home. Jeremiah was so lonely and persecuted in his own day that he asked. Truth is, um, no one should be asking for God to end their life. That's a moment of selfishness, and it shows the weak frame even of those great prophets who, frankly, are some of the greatest believers of all time. It's very good to look towards heaven with hope and gladness, but before then, you have an appointed purpose that's bigger than your preferences you have a job to do. So yes, to live is is Christ, to die is gain, but something is going on in Jonah when compared to the other prophets. Those prophets are being persecuted and playing the role of pariah. Jonah's ministry just succeeded to like the nth degree, (laughs) and he thinks he's justified in wanting to die. He thinks he's being like those prophets on behalf of the other people and dying the honorable death of a persecuted prophet when truly Jonah is the one betraying Jonah from within, what a childish mess. Like he's assuming like, oh, I'm that prophet who's now got to do this too. And it's like, no, Jonah, you're acting like a kid. And then we come to those last two verses. Um, it's, it sort of leaves us hanging, but at the same time, the message of the book is still clear. So throughout Jonah's whole odyssey, God still shows mercy to Jonah who has been a pig-headed child from the beginning to end. He says, Jonah, you didn't plant or nurture the plant. I miraculously gave it to you, and I have the right to take it back for my purposes. God gives and takes away the plant to show Jonah where he's really at. He has petty concerns. He still has, as we saw in chapter 2, vain idols of self-concern, of nationalism, and vindication. Remember in those first four verses, he's like, this is why I did it. Like he's saying, this is why I acted this way, and he thinks he's vindicated in that. He's trying to vindicate himself. Believers don't seek that. Christ didn't seek that when he was going to the cross. The Lord vindicated him with his resurrection. Jonah is the one who has forgotten his hope of steadfast love. Jonah is the one who has forsaken the covenant as his fathers before him at Sinai, and time and time again since. These Israelites (laughs) will have days just as bad as the generation of Ninevites that Jonah preached to, and God will judge them all. But Jonah still can't get in line with God's mercy for all kinds of people, which is really the main message of this whole book. God's universal mercy. He does not spare everybody. But of those he does spare, there is diversity in secondaries, color, culture, preferences, and unity in primaries. Real sin that requires real faith, and real repentance that leads to real holiness and love, even steadfast love. God closes the discussion with Jonah by reminding him that God has a lot more invested in Nineveh than Jonah could ever have in the plant. He reminds us that his perspective is so much bigger, infinitely more sophisticated and decided from the foundations of creation for all time. Those 120,000 people are God's image bearers, created for his glory, And it seems at least some, perhaps many, were elect to reside in Christ for eternity, for God's glory. If you remember in Jonah 3, we took a look in the New Testament of the sign of Jonah. And Jesus says that generation will be raised up to judge the Pharisees. Um, Don't forget that. As you read the Bible and you see God give mercy to people, you realize it's all him being merciful. The ending seems to leave us hanging in one regard, but the message is clear. God is merciful to everyone. And we should praise him for that. And we should live as if it is right for God to be so. I mean, he spared us. Without the Lord's providence, we would be ignorant like the Ninevites, not knowing our left hand from our right. He's not saying that they're ignorant cows. He's he's like innocent cows. He's saying their state is pitiful. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, Yes, judgment is coming. And as we see from the rest of the Bible in Zephaniah and Nahum, God does judge Nineveh. But there's Ninevites here and now in Jonah's time that God chooses to be merciful to for his own purposes. And they're nothing like Jonah. He hates them for valid reasons. They're a violent people. people. They're known for warmongering. They're materialistic. They come after the Israelites. And what do you know? These people are going to come and wreck Israel. They're going to take down Jerusalem. He's got some valid things thing he's thinking about. They're not like him, and yet God chose to save some of them. He pulled them from the lump of sinners, just like He pulled you and me. And that's the important thing that God's trying to remember, John. Or trying to remind John, He's like, remember who you were. Remember who your fathers were. Remember who Abraham was before I came to him. Remember who the people were when Moses came. Remember when you asked for. Remember when the people asked for David. Remember when they failed, and all these terrible kings who could really not hold the mantle that Christ had to hold. Remember all these things. Remember your frame. He's trying to remind Jonah of the simple truths because he's forgotten those simple truths. And so he's retrogressed into this simple, childish prophet of the day. Now that we are Christians, brothers and sisters, let us not be like Jonah, staying immature and vengeful like children. But let us mature by the renewing of our minds. I have a few ways to apply this. Um, Bear with me to the third one, please. <laughs> uh, like, here's a, here's a few ways to think of this passage. Does your life look different than an unbeliever's life? I know that's like the classic application. But I mean in, re, in regards to, as you have walked your, with your faith, have you reverted back to the mediocrity of worldly people, seeking simple pleasures and thinking simple thoughts? So what, When I see Jonah, I can't help but parallel that with a middle-aged evangelical man Sitting in front of the TV, watching the news, thinking, Lord, come back soon. And then switching switching the channel to watch five hours of TV, stuff in his face, and then going back to bed, (laughs) drudgery to work the next day. And it's just, Christians are called to more than that. The sad truth is, is that statistically more churchgoers are living that way than we'd like to believe. So this is sort of a call to the men in the room. Don't just simply recognize the evil in our society. Know that you are called to assume the center of history and do something about it. Men today, we're like Jonah in that little hut in the desert. We're just on the periphery of what's going on, and we just think it's all going, it's all falling apart, and we just want Jesus to come back. But the truth is, is if we read the New Testament, they, had, they thought Jesus was coming back quickly, right? Soon, and then they realized God is being merciful in delaying Christ's return because more people are saved every day that he's not here. There will be a day of judgment. And until that day, we are called to be ambassadors bringing that mercy and taking a general posture of mercy towards everybody. Moreover, um, we have simple we have simple things to live by in Scripture. Men, catechize your children and pray for your family. This is how you get in the trenches and contend for the gospel. The complacency of our day is a vain idol, just like Jonah had a vain idol of his nationalism, of his vindication, of his self, self-concern. And that complacency needs to go. We see that complacency in Jonah and we definitely see it in that era of Israel where... The people are going back and forth and judgment is coming and the prophets start telling them, The Lord's gonna come, the Lord's day is coming. If we're going to if our church is going to do something special in Decatur, we are going to have to start praying for God to strengthen us and to also discipline ourselves for the sake of the promise we have received. Simply put, man up <laughs> or continue to regress into an infant like Jonah, worried about food and plants and comforts. The race is a marathon. Most of us are fairly young. <laughs> Keep running. Don't get complacent. Don't get conformed to the habits of this, of this age. I've been reading this book. It's called Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes, and it's been kicking my butt because, it's like, man, I'm seeing a lot more of myself in this book than I'd like to. And he just goes on and on about men need discipline again. They need conviction. And we need to get off our couches, and we need to discipline ourselves, get the mind of Christ... And in doing that, this is the second part of of application, we can identify vain idols in our life by examining ourselves through the lens of Scripture. It seems we have access to our heart's desires these days, either through phone or travel, and we have a lot of control compared to back in the day over how we spend our time. We have lots of leisure time, that's for sure. And you're going to have to kill most of those desires and you're going to have to plead to God to help you to do that. (laughs) It is so hard to get past these vain idols. We look at Jonah, And he's being childish over these few things he's holding so closely. Like, my people need to be vindicated. We need to be proven right, even though they were clearly wrong in their day. And I don't want you to, I don't want it for I don't want the gospel for Nineveh. The truth is, is each of us has those simple things that if if the Lord just took them away, we would just that little infant regress would just come right out of us. Oh, like how could you do that? I knew you would do that, and I still don't like it. We need to plea with God for a humble heart that. We can just let these idols die. We can just, we can, he can enable us to kill them and he, he is the one ultimately who is killing them. And that wrestling match is not over till your last breath, so don't get tired. We must examine ourselves, otherwise <laughs> we risk being like Jonah, regressing into nonsense and contradiction, jaded and discontented. So that's all pretty high, that's all pretty high call, right? And if you left today, just trying to do that, you would fail. <laughs> you, would be, you would, after a few days you'd give up and you'd probably go back to your habits because we're just constantly doing the same things. right? But remember this. This is the most important thing to remember about the book of Jonah. Keep in mind, most of all, God is merciful and gracious, showing steadfast love to many and relenting from disaster. The truth is is you're, you're going to find yourself slipping at times. You're going to find idols see, seeping into your life, usurping Christ in your heart, You need to bring that to the Lord immediately when you see it. If you know what an idol is, if you're examining yourself by scripture, you're going to see things in yourself and you're like, that really bothers me and I've not been able to beat it myself up to this point in my life. You need to take it to the Lord immediately. And you'll find yourself doing this daily. Remind yourself of his mercy by showing him you are grateful for it. He is always willing to forgive his children. Christ paid the price. He has treated Jonah as a son. He is faithful to treat you the same. He is the one working in you, preparing you for when judgment does come and you pass through it safely in his Son. Moreover, he's calling us to be merciful to people in our day. If you look around our city, there are lots of people that, if you're honest with yourself, you do pity. We do pity orphans. We do pity widows. We do pity the unborn. Those are all serious things today. We're also called to pity our enemies, to love our enemies, to show them that, to always remember, that is who I am, if the Holy Spirit didn't change my heart. And so the Lord is always reminding us, and he had to remind Jonah the hard way, I am preparing you for glory. I am preparing you for the eternal presence of the Father. And so if you can gain a humble heart through, through the reading of Scripture, through accepting accepting who you are, the sins you've committed, repenting of that, knowing that there's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you, you won't have a heart that is jealous for the gospel for yourself. You won't say, Oh, not for them. They're too far gone. And you might even be thinking, you might even be asking your questions, Well, what about that guy who like confesses Christ on his deathbed? Is that fair? He's eighty years old, he's lived a crazy life, he's done whatever he wanted, and then he and then he repents and dies. It's like, well, that was an easy way out. Some people might think that way. Remember this, Christian. Remember this, brothers and sisters. If you've been given the gospel early in life, that is more grace than that person received. Because you're not living under that fear of condemnation. You're not living a, you don't have that loneliness that unbelievers have. If you are called to live a, a humble life of mercy, you have been given more grace in this life than that person who, who goes through this life dreading death. We don't have to do that. And honestly, there's this cynical problem with like, oh, well, why do they get to do whatever they want? It's like, well, if you, if you want to do what they spent their life doing, you need to check, you need to check your own heart. Um, we need to be merciful to everyone. God is merciful to everyone. His rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I know most of us don't like getting stuck in the rain, but if you're in Bible times, rain is a good thing because that means you're going to eat. <laughs> that means the food's going to grow. The rain falling on everyone is a good thing. When you consider Jonah, you might laugh at him, but I hope it leads you to laugh at yourself as well. Saying, I've been that way. I've got these little things. I've got these little things that are so big in my little life. But God has ordained certain people to be plucked out of humanity for Christ's sake. And he ordained that from the foundation of the world. He has everything perfectly in a sophisticated manner, so precise, adjusted his creation so that those who will confess Christ will be pulled out They will be sanctified. They will be found in Christ and they will worship Him and the Son eternally. If you can keep that mindset, it's not hard for you to remember that, man, this person that I really don't like (laughs) still needs the gospel. And frankly, the things I'm thinking about about them are much smaller than what God is thinking about them. They're made in His image. They're capable of glorifying Him. And if we can put God in the forefront of our mind, these idols aside... If God's glory is our first concern, it's easier to be merciful. And so that's a litmus test for yourself. If you're struggling to be merciful, is God's glory your first concern? And if it's not, you're going to be like Jonah, just sort of being pushed around because the Lord is being merciful to you. He's chosen you. But if you don't mature, if, you don't, if you're not raised up by the word, it's messy and it doesn't have to be. We can learn from Jonah. Moreover, we can learn from Christ, we can look to Christ, and we can say, I know I can't live like Christ. I know I can't. But because he lived the way he did, because he gave that life for us, the Holy Spirit can change me throughout this life. And I don't constantly have to be in this immature state as a Christian. You can mature as a Christian through the Word, through reflecting on yourself, and then always keeping a humble heart of mercy. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If your, if your goal is to glorify God and in that you're enjoying Him forever, see Jonah's not enjoying Him <laughs> forever right here. If you can do that, you will grow in your faith and you will have that assurance that Christ is doing that, that the Holy Spirit is doing that in you. And so we are always called to see when we're slipping and to remember that really when we started, we were pulled, we were pulled out of sinners. We were childish and we're still childish in some ways. And the Lord thanks be to God through this whole book. You can see him be merciful to Jonah as he's going to be merciful to you. He's going to be merciful to you and your family. He's he's made a promise because what did Jonah say? Even in his worst moments, Jonah is saying, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He still has his steadfast love for you even as you're being an inconsistent, messy person. And so I hope when you leave for today you go in the confidence knowing that I'm messing up and I'm messing up how I've messed up before and I know I'm doing it and I don't want to do it but the Lord is changing me through these circumstances in my life and moreover, if you can get in the word, if you can get a relative knowledge and sear it onto your mind the, the, the promises of scripture you don't have to constantly be retrogressing like Jonah. He's sitting there. He's waiting for judgment. That's not the call of American evangelicals today. Please don't just sit there and wait for Jesus to come back. We have a job to do. And it's a glorious job. And it's a very, very fulfilling job. And you will have the peace of the Lord as you do it. There's no other, there's no other peace for a Christian. You will get re- if you are a Christian, you will get restless wasting your life. So don't waste your life. <laughs> get out there. You don't have to go on every corner and, and preach the gospel. That's a good thing to do, but start with your family. <laughs> Bring the gospel to the people closest to you. That is where you'll be fulfilled. You will be wor- that will be worship to the Lord that is fulfilling to you, and you will have peace that I'm not perfect, I'm childish in some ways, but the Lord is changing me, and I can see him doing that work. See, Jonah, this whole book didn't even realize any of that. He didn't realize that until he penned it and brought it back to the people. This ends with Jonah still acting like a kid (laughs) and God having to explain to him my perspective is bigger than yours and it's my prerogative to have mercy on who I will have mercy and to have justice everywhere. So brothers and sisters, just remember, the Lord has been merciful to you up to this point. He's faithful to do it some more (laughs) and he will do that until your last day if you have confessed Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, sometimes we feel silly um, reading the book of Jonah. If we're being honest, we see ourselves in him. Um, But Lord, we're grateful that we have testimonies like Jonah's that you are merciful to those of us who don't figure things out, who um, are totally... um, just self-deceived. Lord, we know that you change us. We know that that's your work, and it doesn't matter how much we fail. If you have chosen us, if we have confessed Christ, if we have repented of our sins, um, you're going to finish that work in us. And um, those things that are so easy for other people to see that we don't see, uh, Lord, you will change those things. You're faithful. Your steadfast love endures forever, not because we deserve it, not because we're better than other sinners, but because your son is worthy and he gave his life up for us as you asked him to do so. And so, Lord, help us to be grateful, humble, invigorated by the gospel. Lord, help us not to simply sit, sit back and sit on the perimeter waiting for judgment as Jonah was doing, but help us to be at the center of what, is ha- what you were doing. Help us to be at the center knowing that on judgment day it's those things we do that will be remembered and all that on the periphery will be washed away. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.